Hey guys and welcome to another episode of Tea Talks with Guru, where you get to listen to some pretty good book reviews while also learning more about one of the most famous beverages in the world, tea. I'm your host, Dex Guru, and today's book is another non-fiction geared towards those of you with an interest in the brain and our psych. Now, fair warning, again, this is another one of the books that I recommend you to read if you're into medicine or anything pertaining to um, psychology. It's Curious by Ian Leslie. 10 out of 10. Great read. Love it. Now, before I go off on a tangent, let's get our tea fact in. So, today's tea is golden tips, and it's made from the unopened tea tips of the plant. It's been found to reduce both cholesterol and stress levels, and another little tidbit that I found really cool was that it was actually tea farmers in China who were the first to realize that the tea tips were actually the sweetest part of the plant. Go figure. So golden tips helps prevent heart disease, improves blood sugar, and it also improves gut health. So a great tea overall. Highly recommend that you try it. Now on to our book, Curious by Ian Leslie. And the full title is actually Curious, the desire to know and why your future depends on it. So it begins with an investigation to determine the fundamental difference between humans and our very, very close relatives, primates, because I think our genetics are something like 99% um, identical. Now the head researcher for this was Susavage Rumba, and she found in her study to teach an ape Matata language that her son, Kanzi, was able to teach himself language with greater success. However, this, this, um, the one distinction that marked him as an ape, I guess, and not a, not a human, was that he never questioned why he was doing these things, why he was teaching himself this language, why he was mimicking these actions. He didn't have the ability to ask why. And that distinction is actually what ultimately differentiates humans from the rest of the animal kingdom. And then the book goes on to further delve into the various ways that humanity has either promoted or oppressed curiosity throughout the ages. Because if you would look back to human history, which is wrought with violence and war, um, you'll see that I believe it was the uh, Salem Witch Trials, yeah. Um, Salem, Salim, however you pronounce it. But uh, those witch trials primarily occurred one yes because um, there was a lot of discrimination towards women who worked outside the home or worked at all. But that curiosity in herbal medicine, um, it was kind of scorned, both by the general public, which was uh, predominantly a male voice, and then the church. So then the book goes on to show about, um, to show another way in which curiosity affected uh, the life of this TV producer and director, John Lloyd. Um, he found himself in this dilemma where he suddenly woke up and he, be- he began questioning his existence, basically. And I'm sure we all do that on some level, at least once, every couple of days, every day, however it goes for you. Um, so he began asking this question, who am I? And what followed was a severe depressive episode for Lloyd. Again, probably sounding a lot like some of us. Um, during which several of his films failed in quick succession. And then that resulted in the man finding a new passion for reading, actually, which is 10 out of 10, great hobby, highly recommended. And obviously, if you've reached it, you probably do like to read. 
his curiosity to, um, to uncover the meaning of life was roused, and then this resulted in successful productions of TV shows, specifically the TV show QIBBC. Never looked at it, I don't really look at television, but from whatever, um, from the brief description I got in the book, it seems like it was one of the most popular shows uh, in British television, I believe, yeah. So. Then uh, we dip into medieval times where curiosity was seen as problematic, specifically by the church. And this is one example of where an institution, specifically religion, tried to oppress curiosity uh, because there is um, there was a point in time where science and religion were at each other's necks. Now, it still exists to this day, but it's definitely tampered down from what it used to be. And consequently, because it was seen as problematic by the church, it was stigmatized and scorned. But the Renaissance and Reformation period in Europe uh, saw curiosity be reconstructed as something positive and something to be promoted. Now, it's really um, something to note here uh, during the Renaissance and Reformation period is that I believe um, a lot of discoveries were being made, innovation, invention, all those kinds of things were um, going on. Uh, this period is commonly referred to as the Enlightenment and it basically saw all the acts of curiosity as things to be encouraged because it helped progress society as a whole. So gradually that stigma changed towards a grudging kind of respect because the church could not actively dissuade the public if the public themselves had already had one foot in on this idea that curiosity was something positive. Uh, then we have a professor, Tyler Cohen, who spoke on his current struggle to rekindle curiosity in modern society, particularly in societies where the population is taught to defer to authoritative figures. So authoritarian societies, uh, you mainly see them in Eastern countries, maybe a little bit in um, Middle Eastern countries as well. Um, and he also spoke about how the advent of technology and the ease with which we are able to finance us now has also decreased society's general um, curiosity, just curiosity on a whole. So the need for cognition, NFC for short, um, it's a scientific method for measuring intellectual curiosity and that was also um, mentioned and generally a low NFC usually goes with the opinion of the majority. So if you have, if you find yourself tending to just kind of go with what everybody else is doing, you probably have a low NFC, a low need for cognition. However, high NFCs enjoy um, intellectually stimulating activities and they also get excited by the prospect of learning new things. So if like challenges, if you constantly want to do something new, you have a high NFC. Then different tombs also explore diverse curiosity, which is the um, desire for novelty, epistematic, the desire to obtain new knowledge, um, empathic, Sorry, desire to know about other thoughts and feelings. And then there was also a study to investigate the cognitive reserve. Uh, the cognitive reserve, for reference, is the brain's ability to resist old age. And in a study executed by Robert Wilson, it was found that individuals who actively read and write throughout their life drastically re- reduced the rate of mental degradation because they had more neural pathways, because they actively exercise those parts of the brain that people mistakenly think after school you don't need to exercise because some people will not read a thing unless they have to for work whereas people some people genuinely enjoy reading for recreation and leisure 
uh, pitfalls of curiosity were also explored. There was a story about Brian Smith, who was a young boy. Him and his brother would um, sneakily creep to the drawer that their father held up, where their father had his gun, and they'd pretend to be um, policemen and spies and whatnot. And one day that gun act was actually fired into a busy street. Now, no one was injured, but that kind of uh, cemented in Brian's mind that that was not a toy. And he eventually became a policeman, but um, from that experience, he knew better to caution people on childhood curiosity because unsupervised curiosity is a very dangerous thing. They also mentioned Agulies, who was an avid language learner and polyglot, self-taught polyglot, I should say. He spoke, he, all the languages he spoke, he taught himself. And that perfectly exemplifies epistemic curiosity, the desire to obtain new knowledge. And I, I, I empathize with that man. Like, I relate on a spiritual level because some days I feel like everything I want to know, I don't have enough time to know it. And people who know me will understand what I mean. Um, actually, book research has shown that the region of the brain responsible for learning is also responsible for feelings of romantic love. So that's known as the caudate nucleus and it stimulates both feelings of pleasure as well as curiosity. There was also an experimental link um, done, well, investigation done to show the experimental link between parental involvement with the level of curiosity exhibited in babies. Uh, and it really just showed that people who it showed that parents who actively encouraged questions in their children promoted their inquisitiveness. However, those of them who are reluctant or unwilling or kinda just um chastised their kid for asking questions, it led to a decrease in inquisitiveness and a lesser likelihood that if the child does have a question in the future, they'll come back to the parent for it the answer. And something that I thought was really cool was that in this test um kind of figured when a baby's brain is moved open to an intake of new information, it was found that babbling indicates that their brain is basically ready to absorb new information, which is so cool. I just think that's really, really cool. They then went into a bit more about um, that religious institution versus science thing. Uh, there was a point where the Catholic Church all about all um, but outlawed curiosity during its medieval reign under St. Augustine. However, Thomas Aquinas changed that mandate and he did that very subtly and I think it was a smart way in which he did it. He distinguished curiosity into two types. So there was sinful and deviant, so all against God and whatnot, and then studious and serious, which basically meant that you would use curiosity as a way to promote God's will. Um, so I thought that was a really smart way in which he, you know, subtly inserted because he recognized that curiosity was important for the progression of everything, or institutions, society, economy, everything. Uh, during the time, during that time, uh, you'll see works of Galileo, Da Vinci, Newton, and that further decreased the church's hold on the public. So I guess it was also a smart move on his part in that he did not want the church to become further destabilized because of curiosity and because their word against all these growing number of inventors and discoveries was starting to look very weak. So it was also a very smart part um, as a man of the church to, you know, instead of going against it, go with it in his own way. The 16th century was also an era of great invention. Uh, it's a creation of the printing press, firearms, and the compass. And 
those three things, they would become instrumental in many great discoveries, foreign lands, um, inventions that push the masses to ask more questions about the world they live in, and it also helped play a part in the study to find a higher incidence of questions being asked in upper class homes compared to lower class homes. So, I believe that was linked to the amount of time the children had to, you know, allow their brains to wander because for lower class children, their immediate um, worries, then I should say, would be food and shelter and whatnot. Most of them would have been working, whereas upper class children had a more free lifestyle. They had governesses and tutors come in. They learned a wide um, exotic or what would be exotic array of um, lessons to a child who is not so fortunate. So they had that time to practice and stimulate curiosity, but lower income class children, they did not. Uh, you then have some misconceptions. As with all things, there are always misconceptions. Uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, he had these misconceptions that children don't need teachers to instruct them, that facts kill creativity and schools, that one's BS. And schools should only teach thinking skills instead of knowledge. So all that, no, like, just, no. I definitely, from the time um, I saw the facts kill creativity one, I was just like, what even? But I mean, I'll, I'll give them a blight. It was like, what, 16, 15th century, somewhere around there. They were too young in the game to understand that, you know, facts improve cre creativity in some cases. And then one of the last things in this book, they had seven ways to stay curious. So I'll just run through them briefly. Um, one of them was to stay foolish. Now, you've probably heard the phrase, there is no such thing as a foolish question. That is very, very true. Uh, even if you feel stupid asking it, chances are that you and the 12 other people in your class are also having the same problem. So you can take one for the team and ask it. The second one is to build the database. Um, and I have a quote here. Curiosity about life in all its aspects, I think, is still the secret of great creative people by Leo Burnett. I 100% agree. To continue to be curious well into your 60s after seeing so much of life, the good and a lot of bad, I think is really, it really does help stimulate curiosity, both intellectual, artistic, musical, it just stimulates it in general. Um... The third one is forage like a fox hog and I think well, you need to read the book to understand number three but I, I also agree with that one. It just means that you have to be diverse in your skill set. You can't if you are a doctor you can't only be a doctor you need to be em as empathetic as a therapist you need to be understanding on a human level uh, yes, you need your clinical knowledge and whatnot. Similarly, if you are even something as simple as a customer service job, you not only have to be good at your job, you have to be good with people and you have to be good at interacting with your fellow employees and your manager and whatnot. So what it really boils down to is make sure your skill set is diverse so that you're more adaptable. And number four was ask the big why Number five, be a thinker. Uh. 
Number six, question your teaspoons. And seven, turn puzzles into mysteries. So by this point, you're probably like, what even? But trust me, if you get the chance, read the book, even if it's just a skip to that particular part where they explain the seven ways to stay curious, and you'll understand what I mean. But all in all, curious was, it was informative, it was interesting, it was great. And the way it started with exploring that single distinguishing factor was very impactful in how the rest of the book flowed. So I think it was a great way to start the book and whatnot. But yeah, I think that's it for me for this episode. As always, if you like this episode, you can find this and others um, on the Acast platform. It distributes to Apple Podcasts, Samsung Podcasts, as well as Spotify. And if you like this um, episode and feel so obliged, give me a follow at T Talks with Kudo on Instagram. Until next time, guys. Bye.